Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast. And I'm super excited to be here with Stiefeld Managing Director Juan Bonificino. And he was hired to build out the Boutique Investment Bank's activist defense practice, which really focuses a lot on small and mid-cap companies in the $500 million to $1 billion market cap range. So uh, Juan's experience comes from his knowledge and connections to the world of institutional investors and activist funds, uh, something he honed during stints at a very influential proxy advisor from Institutional Shelter Services, and then subsequently at uh, governance consultancy, Camberview Partners. So thank you so much, Juan, for taking a little time to chat with us. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. Uh, I wanted to pick your mind, Juan, a little bit about, uh, based on your background and many years of work at ISS, um, prior to coming to going to Camberview and Stiefel. And uh, one, you know, one of the, the biggest proxy fights the years, year is probably the biggest proxy fight actually in the US this year. I think uh, Telecom Italia was slightly bigger market cap in Europe. But uh, third points uh, proxy fight at uh, Campbell Soup, uh, which is coming to a head very soon, November 29th. Um, so we had Third Point originally tried to do a total board takeover campaign there, which is a 12, you know, replace all 12 directors. And then recently, uh, uh, it reduced the size of its slate from 12 to five. So they moved from a total board takeover, change of control slate of directors to a minority slate of directors. And one of the things that I wonder about this is that I, I'm, I think this may have had to do not just with the fact that institutional investors may not have been supportive of uh, their entire slate, uh, uh, but uh, but also I wonder if ISS and Glass Lewis uh, they uh, you know may have been let you know they have not issued their recommendation reports yet on this, but those should come out imminently. Um, that they may have been hesitant to support a a total board takeover. So Juan, maybe if you could just kind of walk us through how you view the way ISS looks at change of control slates of directors versus minority slates of directors. Sure. Yeah, Campbell's is shaping up to be a really fascinating contest this year. I, I think on the topic of control slates, ISS grapples with the same issues that many of its clients do. If they think a board change is needed, and, and that's not necessarily the case, but if they think that they've made the, the change has been proven, then what should the new board look like? Does the activist really need to control the whole board to drive those changes? So, you know, those are the questions they're asking themselves. If you look at ISS's underlying policy for proxy contest, it's, it's going to be the same regardless of whether the activist is seeking control. Mm-hmm. So they'll ask themselves, first, has the dissident made a compelling case that change is necessary? And second, if they've made that compelling case, then who are the best candidates to drive the change? Mm-hmm. So if an activist doesn't prove the first question that there's a compelling case for change, then the size of the composition of the slate doesn't matter. But if they do, then shareholders are going to have to decide who it is that they want to see on the board. And I think from the outside, it's often tough to know what the right path forward is in a contest. You know, in most of these cases, companies are underperforming and the board and the activists are offering competing visions for what needs to be done to fix it. Mm-hmm. So what you see is that most contests have minority positions because that's what investors and the proxy advisors prefer. But, you know, I, I think it's not it's not just a reflexive conservatism. I think they see benefits to a minority position. If a dissident gets one seat or a few seats on a board, those new directors still have to convince everybody else in the, in the boardroom that their path is the right path forward. And if you have a control slate, you lose that that check. 
right? You know, I, I think I think a lot of activists have proven pretty effective with with one seat or just a couple of seats. So you know, be giving a, a giving an activist control of the board really allows them to to push their agenda with 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 far less question that they would typically have, which is what you really want to see in a boardroom is 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 is, is people pushing back on ideas to make sure that this really is the right decision. When we chatted about this before, you talked a little about uh, you know that a, a change of control slate is really. <laughs> much more disruptive than a minority slate of directors. And uh, I'm curious if you think that, uh, you know, try to envision the uh, presentation that uh, Third Point's Dan Loeb may have, and his team may have given to ISS on, uh, you know, on, on its slate. And I can't, you know, I suspect that that, uh, that presentation might have been when they still had a change of control slate, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, they had a 21-page presentation that they put together to kind of justify their total board takeover effort. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit before about the uh, um, uh, ISS had recommended for the entire dissident slate of Starboard Value, another activist fund, uh, uh, Jeff Smith, back in 2014, when uh, he sought to take over the board of Darden, which, he, uh, which is the Olive Garden owner, and he ultimately succeeded. He had almost a 300-page presentation. So I, I guess, is, is it your sense that the, um, an activist who wants to take control of a board has to do a much more thorough presentation? And I wonder if they also need to come up with their own CEO candidates. I mean, in this case, there's an interim CEO. Uh, Third Point has come up with a person they'd like to replace that interim CEO with another interim CEO. <laughs> candidate that they have as one of their directors. But, you know, do you have to give kind of a really good vision of how you'd see the company moving forward um, if you tried wanting to take over the board? Yeah, I, th I think I think the presentations have been getting longer and longer every year. Um, yes. Starbird certainly comes out with with some hundred page presentations. It, you know, I ultimately, I think part of that is 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 the optics of, of having you know, done a 300 page deck to demonstrate that you've done your due diligence and your homework. You're trying to uh, assure uh, investors as an, as an activist that you've, uh, you've, you've uh, really thought through all of the potential consequences. So I think, you know, I, I wouldn't judge something just by the, the page count because you, you can make, you could make a case uh, with, with, with less exhibits, say in, in a presentation, because ultimately this is a balance and you're not going to be able to get through, you know, a, a, such a, such a thick presentation. If you, I think what what really what it comes down to is that if there is a uh, if if there is a act, activist uh, if an activist is making the case that they need full control, mm -hmm. that's really because there's some sort of fundamental problem that they see with the way the company's been executing a strategy. And ultimately, that comes down to the chief executive uh, and 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 the board of directors that approve the strategy. So if 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 a change of control happens. Often, change of control provisions get triggered. You know, the executives are, are at a pretty high risk of leaving, even that day that that happens. So mm -hmm. that's incredibly even if, the, even if the activist doesn't want to see the executive direct leave, that that could be uh, one of the uh, consequences of a of a, a total board takeover. But uh, do they usually like have to say that uh, this is the CEO we you know that what we want to see run the business, and this is the you know how we envision it going for the next you know, next little bit. I you know with Campbell, it's kind of a dual path for Third Point. On one level, they kind of want to see the company sold or broken up, but on the other level, they have this kind of operating strategy for the business going forward. Mm -hmm. I I don't think activists need to necessarily have a CEO candidate in mind, okay. but they have to have a clear position about what they would do on day one. 
right. if if indeed all of these changes happen all at once and, and right. changing controls really ratchet up the risk of, of, of a lot of unintended consequences at a company. So they want to make sure if institutions are going to support a full slate, they want to make sure that you've really, you've really thought through all of these consequences. Uh, in, in addition to, I think, you know, giving enough of a compelling reason why shareholders should forego this check and balance I mentioned uh, that would come from a minority position. Okay, so one of the things that Dan Loeb is probably out busy doing right now is talking to the Campbell institutional investor base. And um, I think the first and third, he, he, he and his partner, George Strawbridge, who is a descendant of, of, of uh, the uh, one-time CEO and inventor of the condensed soup uh, formula for Campbell's, uh, together own, I think, around 9% of Campbell, but the first and third largest investors are institutional investors. And we've talked about this before, the, uh, the growth of index funds and activism and the impact on activism. Clearly, for, for debt Loeb to be successful, he needs to get uh, the, the, the largest index funds to support him. And we've seen a sh- massive shift in assets that is ongoing from active managers, not activist managers, but active managers, to passive funds such as BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. So from your, pers- from your perspective, uh, you know, how do you see this shift playing out? You know, the, uh, we know that the biggest index funds are increasing, you know, having, have larger and larger teams of people looking into this, but tend to support management a lot of times, according to the NPX data that I, that I see, um, in these, when it comes to proxy fights, at least, um, I don't know. How do you see this? Do you see this, uh, this, this shift from active to, to passive from, to index funds continuing? Uh, and how do you think that that'll in, impact, uh, proxy fights and activist investors? Yeah, I, I mean it's it's really striking to see the numbers, and I, and I think it's already made a big impact. You know, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, the three you mentioned, now hold over twenty percent of equity S and P five hundred companies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the other the other thing to note is that you know as passive index strategies become more popular, that is uh, concentrating among the largest asset managers because of the economies of scale of running these businesses. So just as a whole, American capital markets are concentrating among these large institutions. And I think because of their sizes, they end up often being the swing votes in contested elections. And actually, in fact, many other routine proposals at annual uh, annual elections. So because of those, those roles, you know, boards of directors have really increase their outreach to these institutions and activists have as well. Uh, and, and they've both tailored their messaging in, in a contested election uh, to really resonate with the issues that they care about. And, and I think ultimately, I, I think if you, if you talk to these institutions, they, they recognize those, that, that role and, it, and they consider themselves stewards of long-term capital for their own investors. You know, so they, they've really built out their, their, their proxy voting teams. They're engaging year-round with their portfolio companies and they're trying to discuss topics that are important to them, such as long-term strategy, board composition, environmental and social issues, you know, all of this because they believe that these lead to long-term performance, increasing long-term performance over time. So if you look at, say, Vanguard, they, you know, their team has over 20 people now and they met over 700 companies last year. BlackRock uh, has met with over 2,000 companies globally. So, so this has really fundamentally changed the way companies are interacting with their institutional investors. It seems to me like if there's, a, if there's one situation this year where the index funds will spend, the, you know, spend some time reviewing, it's a case like this where there's a proxy fight and the activist wants to uh, you know, uh, basically shake up the board um, and it's a you know, large cap company. 
and I know that index funds are the first and third largest outside investors here. I would also note, though, that the uh, descendants of this John Dorrance, the inventor of the condensed milk, uh, condensed soup formula, not including this George Strawbridge uh, person, they control 40, they, they have 41% stake in the company, which they've pledged to vote for the incumbent slate. So huge uh, threshold and, you know, in many ways making it very impossible, potentially almost impossible for a third point to win. He would need almost everybody, you know, every other investor's support. But I feel like if you can show the large minority uh, uh, investors, that includes the index funds there uh, were to support his dissident slate you know, he could kind of embarrass the company into making changes. But, um, but anyways, uh, I feel like the, uh, you know, index funds are hugely important, right? The activists, they're, they're frequently talking to these index funds. Uh, is it your, your sense that companies are now increasingly talking to, but I feel like, would you, would you, would your, your, your gut tell you that the, the index funds are more familiar with the activist fund managers than they are with the companies that they invest in? I, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think I think probably if you look back a couple years, uh, even a couple years ago, they they may have been more uh, more familiar with many of the activists that were the experienced ones that that went to contests, you know, multiple times a year. I, I think I think that's really changed a lot, um, just given that they've been engaging with 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 their portfolio companies quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I and and you mentioned that they're going to be spending a lot of time with 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 this proxy contest. You know, with with, with Campbell's, I I think that's right. And mm-hmm. I you know we and I and they they've tended to really spend a lot of time in, with contests in general, uh, which has been which has been good. I think because these these they they tend to be very complex issues with with uh, lots of lots of re- real nuanced discussions about the company strategy and 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 some real significant consequences about what's going to happen with the company going forward. So. There's there's not that many of these contests every year, and so I think even even among the smaller uh, the smaller contests, um, you know, they recognize that they're they're significant uh, holdings within smaller companies, and so they, they tend to spend a lot of time on on talking to both sides, understanding all the issues uh, before they ultimately cast their votes. All right, before we go, I just want to shift gears to uh, one related subject that I know that is uh, you've had a, a, a lot of experience with and uh, a lot of background. Uh, focusing on this, particularly during your time at ISS, um, and that is the strategic companies launching activist campaigns, along with their unsolicited bids to buy companies. This was, we saw this in, uh, I guess, the biggest example of this this year, maybe the biggest example ever, was uh, uh, Broadridge's uh, hostile bid and ultimately unsuccessful proxy fight effort to buy Qualcomm, and this uh, had nothing to do with uh, whether institutional investors, the conclusion had nothing to do with whether institutional investors uh, were, to, were going to support the Broadcom's unsolicited bid, uh, sorry, and, uh, were to su- would support uh, Broadcom's director candidates, which were, were seeking to take control of the board of Qualcomm, but had everything to do with the Trump administration's Committee on Foreign Investment U.S. blocking a deal that never even was struck officially. But putting that aside for now, uh, I feel like we see like one or two of these uh, unsolicited bids and proxy fights, a couple of proxy fights every year. Um, I don't know. What do you think of these? Do you think we'll see more of these going forward? Do you think we'll, uh, uh, um, uh, that they're rare, you know, they're not, they're going to, they're, they're, they're not that successful. I mean, in this case it wasn't successful, but it wasn't, uh, it was for a very unusual reasons. It, it, it appears to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the these types of hostile situations are still pretty rare, and uh, and they don't have a that great a track record. But they've made a bit of a comeback in recent years, and and certainly always are very high profile when they occur. You know, I I think when you look at an M and A proxy contest like like Broadcom. It, it, when a bidder proposes a slate of directors, it's always going to be a little awkward from a governance standpoint because there's a natural conflict of interest there, right? The bidder is going to want to get the lowest price, which is not in the interest of the target shareholders, but they'll usually nominate independent candidates and, and kind of make, make the case that this is a, you know, the, the new slate would be uh, in a better, negotiate better on behalf of shareholders than the incumbents. Yeah, I think sometimes it's used tactically to force a target board to a negotiating table even if ultimately they don't think the contest is going to go all the way, you know, they could use it to really increase the pressure and, and force and force a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately bidders almost always want to have a friendly transaction instead. I think, in a, in a, in a, in a, if you go hostile, you know, you can't conduct the same level of due diligence. Uh, you know, it increases integration risk. Um, you know, it, the, the, it becomes really distracting and, and could actually impair the underlying business, right? Because but it, I mean, just sorry to interrupt, is, is, is the proxy contest really a, a kind of a strategy from the unsolicited bidder to really get the target company to talk to its institutional investors that, you know, that, oh, you know, these, now you can see that institutional investors would support the, uh, the unsolicited bidder's director candidate, so maybe it should come to the negotiating table as a way of kind of pressuring that to happen? Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, the reason why this would happen is because the the market price and what the board believes the price of the company should be are significantly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and a, a, a hostile bidder would would think that the, the gap is large enough that uh, shareholders would would support uh, the as someone else coming in for a different opinion and, and potentially enacting a, a bid uh, because they, they see that the, the board is not is 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 not considering what appears to be a reasonable offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, th- I think that would be the position that a hostile bidder would have. There's uh, you know there's a lot of reasons why a a, a stock price would be lower than uh, than 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 what the company's intrinsic value should be, though you know, and boards yeah. have a lot of a lot more information uh, than than public markets do. So mm-hmm. it, it's not always in shareholders' best interest to disclose them all. Mm-hmm. But what I think happens in a hostile bid like this is that it forces the board to be in a position where they're going to have to provide the market with more information to justify why they believe it's significant. The the value of the stock should be significantly higher. So ultimately, and, it, and it, it brings remain, out the conversation. And it, should, and it should remain independent, right? The, the, the stock should be significantly higher, um, and it, it should not accept the, the price that the bidder wants. Yes, although often it's 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 even less. It's not even a question about whether the price is the right one, but is the price high enough that the board really should cons- at least consider it and actually meet with the with with the, with a hostile bidder. I think that's what often some of these uh, contests are, are 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 focused on because sometimes the board refusing to engage with a with a bidder ends up actually being in the best interest of shareholders over the long run uh, sure. because it may increase the, the starting point for the negotiations or maybe because they really have, uh, you know, a, a, a greater perspective and inf- information about why the market's, go- uh, why the market is undervaluing the company's f- uh, future prospects. All right. Well, we'll be interested to see if 2019 brings us another unsolicited bid and proxy fight. Uh, definitely would be interesting for the deal to cover if that happens. Uh, but for now, I want to just say uh, thank uh, Juan for taking a little time to, to chat with the Activist Investment Today podcast. Um, and uh, that's, that's a wrap for today. So thanks, uh, Juan. 
uh, we've been speaking with Juan Bonifacino at Stiefel, and he leads the Stiefel's activist defense practice. Thanks for taking the time, Juan. Thanks so much, Ron.